For August 29th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 739. Relaxation is linear. Crankiness is fractal. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. No, your ears don't deceive you. I'm Matt Rather, and I am back. I hunted the prey. I took the herbs that lowered my body temperature to, uh, you know, to an undetectable thermal level. I covered myself and hid in the mud in the grasses, and I defeated the predator and uh, passed on my my. I, so many spoilers for the for the prey movie. No, I I didn't get that uh, from. Um, I didn't get that from actually watching Prey because, as we know, I don't like scary things, and I opted out of the podcast rather than watch a scary thing uh, for you know the benefit of my my fellow panelists and and our listeners. But I loved hearing uh, hearing what uh, our panelist Jordan Stokes had to say, and the two uh, the two redoubtable fellows who join me now, Mister Peter Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. Welcome back. Thanks very much. And Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Um, I don't know to be offended because you called us redoubtable. What does that mean? It, I, I, I don't know, insult? but neither does no one else. Hmm. Fair enough. I think it means, uh, I, I think it means solid. I think it means like sturdy and dependable. Uh, that, that, that's at least always what I've thought it meant. I think a redoubt is a form of fortification. I just feel like I've read that word in high fantasy related to castle construction. Uh, so yeah, so if we're redoubtable, I mean, it means we're either doubtable again, or that you can are, you never are, have to doubt are, us. Redoubtable, a uh, an adjective, uh, often humorous, uh, says the. I'm actually not even sure what dictionary this is that comes bundled with the the Apple operating system. Um, uh, formidable, especially as an opponent. He was a redoubtable debater, and there are no more redoubtable debaters than you two. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the podcast so much that I'm pleased to announce my permanent retirement no! from the, no, I'm kidding. I'm not, uh, I'm not doing that, but this is always, this is always the season where there is, there is weirdness in our podcast, uh, recording. It's been since, since time immemorial, since, you know, uh, 20, uh, 2008 when the podcast began in October 2008 when it began its weekly, uh, journey. Right. We, um, it, the summer has always been the time when we had to like, we have to bank a couple episodes. Believe it or not, we have an episode banked, um, right now. And, you know, the, the scheduling, um, our, you know, our normal time of Sunday evening at 9 15 PM, uh, Eastern Standard Time or Daylight Time, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, has to yield to all kinds of, of, uh, shenanigans and, and rescheduling. So it's, it's a pleasure. It's a particular pleasure to be back uh, with you. And thank you for, thank you for, podcasting um it struck me that we can't have possibly ever talked about you know the summer before um but then i looked on the website overthinkingit.com and i found that uh in episode 527 entitled you want this so we will give you this uh i'm trying to do my you know the the slight announcer voice that i do for the the titles um on the overthinking it podcast we celebrate summer by tackling live music and the concert-going experience. And uh, going back to episode 373, uh, a while back in our catalog, published on August 24th, 2015, 
Peter Fensel, Mark Lee, and Matthew Rather overthink the cultural phenomenon of summer. All right. So I guess, I guess we, uh, I guess we have done it, but I guess summer, I guess summer has changed, uh, since then, since 2015. Um, so let's, uh, let's, let's figure out how. I don't know. Uh, Mark, you suggested we talk about, we revisit the idea of summer. How has summer changed for you since 2015? Has there been any big shift in your life since then? Has, you know, or living situation? it's not a mostly just same day to day, except I don't know, global pandemic that disrupted our horribly disrupted our lives for a couple of years. Um, and also the advent of not one, but two children into my care. OK, that must be those things. Yes. OK. COVID and kids have drastically changed my relationship with summer. Um, and so here we are kind of on the other side of well, not all of that, but most of that. Right. Um, or at least like, you know, uh, uh, separated a lot from those two or three episodes that you just reeled off there, Matt. So here's the here's my new relationship with Summer. I got a couple of things going on here. One is that I got a three-year-old, and he's, like, kind of on a school schedule now. So, like, the regular child care where you just, like, you know, routine where you, like, just pay ungodly amounts of money and it just gets siphoned directly out of your checking account on a monthly basis and you get child care uh, for that. Um, that routine gets disrupted. You have to go through your new, new child care routine um because um as uh, the championship season or recedes further into memory and now becomes like i don't know a lingering championship postseason with like the weird like <laughs> pro bowl that that come pro bowl that comes on the off season um now that we're in that phase of the pandemic um and things are quote-unquote back to normal um there's all this pent-up demand to go out there and do stuff and so we take all these trips uh and it's exhausting so I have to like, you know, figure out how not to get my kids to melt down while we all pile into the car and go to the amusement park and rent the Airbnb and that sort of thing. And there's a lot of that going on, like, you know, weekend after weekend this summer. Um, and also you kind of have now that we are in the tail end of August, we uh, look forward to the cooling of the weather and returning the, of the children back to their regular academic schedules and uh, return to some sense of normalcy into our lives. So summer it hits different. These days, as the kids say, Pete, has any of that, uh, does any of that ring true with you with your uh, now two year old and also having gone through the championship season and then the lingering postseason and off season? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely things that feel very different about how summer is now than how it used to be. Well, for one, the song of the summer is very different. I want us to acknowledge that we did, in <laughs> fact, hold a vote on our discord for the song of the summer. The nominees were announced last week, of course, and the winner getting 100% more votes than any of the other competitors was the Pickle Family from Blaze and the Monster Machines. So check out, go to the Discord if you want to listen to any of the, any of the songs, watch the videos, get the discussion. Uh, it's a good time. Anyway, yes. You will I, voluntarily I, I, subject you to that which we are subject to involuntarily. That is the place <laughs> to go, our Discord. Because Song of the Summer for me is part of it too because – there used to be a notable decrease in the amount of commitment that I had to things in the summer, you know, back when we were much younger. And I remember just, you know, driving around in my car and going to the record store. And I, I have a very vivid, specific memory of pulling out of the parking lot of the Tower Records, I believe it was in Paramus, New Jersey, and hearing Hero by Enrique Iglesias on the radio. I believe. And this was like summer after I want to say my freshman year of college when I was working two jobs, but still feel like I had it felt like I had a ton of freedom. <laughs> um, 
And also back when Tower Records existed. Well, yes, exactly. That's another part of it, right? Is the uh, the the owners the ownership of of moments in music to yourself rather than their uh, I'm not going to say collectivization because that's not what it is, but perhaps distribution. They're distributed. Uh, they're everything's on the cloud, man. Even your memories uh, are on the cloud. But yes, um, I, the cycle is feeling like it's reaching a uh, a bit of a of a return because while my kid isn't old enough to go to school. And so he could stay in daycare all year round. The my wife has it is is in education and she gets the summer off. And as a result, we keep him home from daycare for reasons of being able to afford to live. Right. So uh, so we have had him home all summer and that fundamentally changes things. But it is not a net positive for my free time right it's in fact a <laughs> drastic net negative for my free time that make, makes me very cognizant of the idea of of you know other people's leisure like let your leisure comes at someone else's expense a very athenian idea of the philosopher right is that like well if you have free time to go to the movies somebody else must be doing the agricultural labor and or the child care Right. In order to make that possible, like congratulations on being an aristocrat, Mr. Philosopher and all that stuff. Right. Like, uh, you know, it's um, obviously in, you know, industrialization has made that not entirely necessary because, of course, we can get enough food and things like that. But still, um, yeah, the feeling that like now you're in the position of providing for other people the experience of a summer in the way that you, you previously understood it, uh, which uh, feels most of the time, like the worst memories that you have of summer from when you were younger, which were the times when your parents were like begrudgingly forcing you to do things that you oh didn't want to do yeah. because that's what that you have so to true. do to them yeah. all the time. So I, I, another very vivid summer memory is standing near the fountain in uh, near the entrance to Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. And with all of my sisters to get my picture taken and just like staying there, just trying to hold my smile for like solid 10 minutes while the process of like making getting to a point where everybody smiled and everybody was in frame and like everything was to everyone's satisfaction and we could finally get a picture. Uh, it's it's a very different feeling than like, you know, going down to the old uh the old covered over landfill and like sitting out under the stars at night and talking to your friends. Right. But how would they know back in the day? Right. Like when you can't like snap the picture on your phone and proof it immediately, how do you know if someone's eyes are closed? Right. If you have a perfect photo with, you know, I, I don't know, however many 23 smiling Fenzel children, but one of them, one of them blinked. You know, well, that's probably why it takes 10 minutes is the anxiety of not knowing. So you just take a lot. You just burn like three rolls of film at, you know, I don't know well, what. No, you want to be you want to be careful for each one because you don't want to waste it. But at the same time, it's a wonderful little paradox that you've articulated that I feel like took place where you're not taking lots of pictures quickly. You're taking them very slowly, <laughs> but you're taking them redundantly. So ironically, if you wanted to get a picture in which no one was blinking, you would be better off taking the pictures in rapid succession rather than spread out. Although, is that true? That's probably not true, right? Because at any given moment, there's a probability that somebody's eyes will be closed and you Mm. probably can't react to it quickly enough in terms of hitting the mechanical shutter on the camera. So it's not so much that waiting is going to help you get a picture without everybody's eyes closed, but it does mean that it's not 
better, or not worse. So like the it's sort of like walking and running in rain, where like you think that you'll get rained on less if you run, but you'll really get rained on just as much, if not more, uh, because you'll be moving horizontally through uh, a volume of raindrops as you pass through the uh, the vertically falling raindrops. Um, then Wait, hang also, on a your your theory is like you want to stretch this out over a longer period of time. No, no, like, no, no, no. I'm you... saying that that it actually doesn't accomplish anything. No, that no, it certainly does not. No, this is a purely nervous game. You want to squeeze in as many uh, exposures as you possibly can while the children are all congregating. But this is what we're talking about here, right? Like all the anxiety. <laughs> of this. Yeah, what, it's what fun. you need, we're what you need, fun. like I mean, this is why you know this is why modern photography technology is superior, right? Because you can you know snap a, a rapid series of you know twenty or thirty exposures, so whoever is blinking, like all the children can blink, and you'll catch one good uh good frame of everybody and yeah. uh, then you can stitch them together and then you can filter them you can like alter your children digitally to make them seem i don't know more athletic or you know uh happier more tan less tan whatever you know whatever <laughs> your idea is and then you can post that on your social media and participate in the deplorable success theater of summer uh because you have accomplished <laughs> summer you have summered <laughs> You have summered, you know. Mm. We summer on Long Island. We summer on. We summer on Nantucket. We summer uh, on Instagram. We, uh, you know, uh, and and one one can one claim if you if you've not snapped a picture, you know, of all the children smiling, can you claim to have summered? Matt, I have a question for you. Okay, which is this, bro? Do yeah. you even summer? I mean, this is a, a the short answer question. is no, because I have I have no children, and I, yeah. I work at a tech startup, and so I work you know fourteen hours a day, whether no matter so, what season it is. A, your lifestyle is different, and B, like, what is the status of seasons in Los Angeles? I'm kind of surprised we haven't had. This I is I'm so this sick of this poop. I'm so sick of this poop from from you, New Englanders. You know, yeah, Mark, you living in New, New England or now? <laughs> whatever. You know what? To me, there are three. All you, all, yeah, all you people. There are three parts of America. Okay, okay. there's Los Angeles, the huh. bleeding edge. Right. Yep. Where uh, where everyone lives, where everyone good lives or should live. Uh, okay. Right. Then there is New England up in the Northeast where you have a chauvinism about like scheduling meetings really early in the morning so that the hardworking technologists at the tech startups <laughs> have to get up at six, get up at five thirty so that they can shower and be on, uh, be on the video call. And then there's Chicago, which is everything else. This and is like that I'm New Yorker gonna, cover. I'm gonna get, um, yeah, except, exactly. It, it, um, <laughs> strung through a washer and light out, lay, laying out in the ever burning California sun, because I am told that it is the sun is always shining in Los Angeles. It is. I mean, therefore, yeah, it is always summer, and therefore, it is never summer. Is yeah, the weather. The I mean, the weather is is temperate. Like I own motorcycles, and I can ride them 300. 60 days a year you know and that's that's great uh, even if you don't own motorcycles having having weather like that is is great i mean the climate is you know it's described as mediterranean right so it's not like you know it's not like the kind of the northern european model of of seasonal change uh or you know british or new england uh right like it's not it's not like that that model is the only long-term model there has been a mediterranean 
climate, you know, for longer than there's been people. And people have been enjoying the Mediterranean climate for almost as long, uh, almost as long as, as, uh, you know, there have been people since they, you know, ventured out a little bit from between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers and enjoyed, I don't know, modern day, uh, you know, modern day Lebanon or maybe took a boat to modern day Cyprus or something like that. Like, you know, this, this climate has, has existed. But like the, the thing you gotta understand about Los Angeles and its seasons is that it's, it's, um, it's a desert, right? And it's not, uh, as, so it's really dry and the season is more, uh, a question of like changing temperature, yes, but but more like the modulation of dryness in the air. It gets really, really dry in the winter uh, than it is about like um, you know changing foliage and things like this because the the native plants we have out here are not uh, uh, don't have quite the you know quite the same the same cycles. Um, you know, I, that was more a, a serious answer than than your question really deserved, Mark. But uh, I, you know, I don't know what do you, what, what what do you think of when okay. you think of summer in California? I have, I have another I have another question. Wait, I mean, do you um, think of I like just, a, a fantastic having a fantastic time, the likes of which you New Englanders have never even you know begun to contemplate? I mean, I think about the time I went to Los Angeles in December and enjoyed the warm weather and, <laughs> and the outside things, and like I just again like I assume that it's just like that all all year round, and like there, where is the pleasure in the differentiation? Um, that's kind of what I'm getting at, but I have a different question. It was that, freezing, like, Mark. That I remember that time that you came out. It was freezing. It got down to like 63. I was. <laughs> it's so it's so hot out there. And I walked uh, and I walked barefoot in the Pacific Ocean. So that's what I have to say about that. Okay, so here's a different kind of question. Okay, so in the Northeast, right, we have this notion of the of the moneyed classes um, during the summer will decamp. From their urban, sweltering urban centers in New York City and Boston, do places like the Hamptons mm. and Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard. And I can't believe I've never asked you this before, Matt. And I, I ask this truly from a position of ignorance. Is there anything even sort of comparable to that in Los Angeles? Like August, like the wealthy parts of town just empty out and they've all gone somewhere and yeah, you're sure. not invited. Sure. Where, they do they go go, to where do they go? Jackson Hole or, you know, I don't know, Vail for the summer or, uh, there's a, there's all kinds of all kinds of stuff. Mountain. You tend to go rather than going out or rather than going more coastal. You tend to go up. You know, mm. you go to go to a higher altitude where it's uh, where it's a little cooler. But no, I mean it's sort of temperate enough. And like uh, LA never got I never got super tall. Um, I, I it's getting more and more dense just because of the the dire housing shortage. Like the more. Uh, sort of densification is coming to, to neighborhoods and it's been imposed at the state level over the, you know, objections of NIMBYs. Um, but the, uh, you know, so we're, we'll get more dense and, you know, we have dense, um, pockets, downtown Los Angeles, Koreatown, uh, certain kinds of, uh, certain kinds of business districts, but like the, the, we're our proximity to the ocean and, you know, um, our more or less temperate uh, climate means that it's not as much a prerogative. So there, you know, it's not what, what, what we get in, in our style section, you know, of our uh, local dog trainer is not like where to summer. It's where to weekend right over, over the summer. And so you go up to like central coast wine country or something like that, or you go to Palm Springs for reasons passing understanding because you want it to be hotter, you know, or you go down to, uh, you go down to, um, uh, uh, San Diego and, and witness the abuse of sea creatures at SeaWorld or, or something like that. The, 
the the possibilities are are endless but it 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 is kind of like a dynamic of like summer fridays and like getting out of town and and stuff like that which i think is i i think is true mark of of uh normal people in new york as well right like you try to wrangle the afternoon off and like take the hamptons jitney out and like sit in the sit in the traffic to you know spend like two days uh you know clambering up and down some sand dunes or in our case, like, you know, skip town Thursday or Friday and then go take the kids to the, the kitty amusement park. Right. Which, by the way, that's like, you know, a whole other, you know, um, return to a summer thing from the childhood, which is just completely racked with anxiety. As Pete mentioned, you know, outside of the, the, the Williamsburg Bush Gardens. Right. We're uh, we're really there. We're Pete. We are. We are just back at that place. Um, so, yeah. So the weekending. Right. You know, and summering are uh, not mutually exclusive. You can weekend. You can also and you can also summer. Mm. You can weekend and uh, you can weekend and summer. I mean, I'm really taken with this thing that Pete has brought up about like creating an idea of summer, and I think it's something that we've we've talked about. You know, all three of us celebrate Christmas, right? And like, there is definitely an idea of Christmas, and I do. I you know, I get that as parents, you guys enact a great deal of labor to to kind of make to make Christmas happen, right? Why a, would we have yeah. to do that? Why would we? <laughs> What I sit I sit in the bathroom and I whittle soap. To Are make you guys on the naughty list? Do you guys not get snow? the free stuff every Christmas? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I've been on the nice list this whole time and it just sort of shows up. Man, that must stink. You have to listen to all that music all the time, just knowing that you're just going to be doing a whole ton of work uh, and, you know, sleep deprived and kind of trying to fold paper appropriately. That'll is, you know, every year it's a little thinner and tears a little more. And... Uh, <laughs> And you know that the kid will play with only the box. Man, to actually have to do Christmas yourself and not have it provided for you by German elves and whatnot, that must be rough. It must be real rough. Wait, why are, the, why, are the, um, why are the elves German? Well, I, say, I, think of Santa, I think of Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny as being like German origin things. I guess the elves themselves might not be German. Like the folklore is of German origin, maybe? Uh, fair enough. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm thinking of, I mean, St. Nicholas, uh, where is he from? He's uh, I think of our, I mean, we I mean, did North an, Pole, obviously. We did a really uh, fun episode about, about, um, uh, about Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And I, I, I think of, of our idea, our American idea of Christmas if, as being essentially Victorian. But maybe, I, you know, I know trees, I know Christmas trees are, are a German tradition. But... Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm misguided somehow. I mean, have you ever seen uh, that Tim that Tim Allen movie, The Woodhawksman? It's like <laughs> where he's a weed. So it, there's a man, but he's the Woodhawksman because he's the Santa Claus or the. I don't know. <laughs> I think when I hear about oh yeah, that's the one where uh, that's the one where where Tim Allen staggers into frame and says, "One must have a mind of winter to regard <laughs> the frost and the boughs of pine trees crusted with snow, and have been cold a long time to behold the junipers shagged with ice, the spruces rough in the distant glitter of the January sun." And not to think of any misery in the sound of the wind, in the sound of a few leaves, which is the sound of the land full of the same wind that is blowing in the same bare place for the listener who listens in the snow and nothing himself beholds nothing that is not there 
and the nothing that is. R R R R R R. More power. Wow, it got cold so, in here. As, here's a chance. <laughs> we, 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 plunged, we plunged the depths of winter there in our winter. summer. So, come on. Here's a tangent. And, and California did that to us, too. <laughs> take, us somewhere, take us somewhere. We, we, have to inst- we have to create the summer experience. Oh, really? I, I wanted to take us on a tangent, but okay. We can create no, no, no. Go on a tangent. So I had to have a co- – I didn't have to, but chose to because I married well. Had a conversation with my wife a few months ago about what we were going to tell our children about the Easter Bunny. Because it's like it's one thing to talk about Santa <laughs> and like, oh, well, all the other kids, they kind of might, you know, what kids are going to think that Santa is kind of a thing. Uh, when a kid's going to find out, do you want to sort of support it or not support it? I feel like that's a difficult and complicated uh, thing to think about if you want it to be. Um, but the Easter Bunny is just BS, right? Like, <laughs> like it's it's like very. It should be very obvious sure. that there is not a giant anthropomorphic bipedal rabbit that like comes into your house and hides rotting hard boiled eggs under your furniture. Who was crucified, <laughs> suffered, died, and was buried on the third day. The rabbit rose again. <laughs> no, now you're getting it mixed up, Mac. You're, oh, you're sorry. confusing. You're confusing the real story with the rabbit with oh, the rotting hard boiled eggs. Uh, got it sorry wait does the rabbit lay the hard-boiled eggs that's what i'm talking about what's the beyond the notional beyond you know (laughs) symbols of fecundity right like what what is the relationship between the rabbit and the eggs because i i kind of don't want to know where those eggs come from that's that's why i brought it up because that is german like that's German AF is like you know <laughs> the rabbit poops out some eggs, put there's them like in your a mouth. Rabbit and there's eggs and like let's go beyond the notional and it's like such a thing is not possible. <laughs> like, would you would you would you would you break through that pane of glass that separates us from you know that separates us from the myth of our own existence? Right, like the rabbit has the eggs and he has them now and he gives and he offers them to you. Do you take them or do you not? Like that is for you to decide. That is your decision, right? You have no you have no say. You have no your power of re- reason is not sufficient to to explain why a rabbit would lay eggs or not lay eggs. The rabbit merely brings them, right? Uh, so that's the that's that's the explanation you you landed on to get yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, I think the explanation I landed on is I tell my kid that, like, you know, your Fenzel is German, and the story of the Easter Bunny <laughs> is a German story about a rabbit that, that carries eggs to people and that gives them to them as treats because back in the day in Germany, didn't get to have a lot of nice treats. There were just eggs. <laughs> like, that's what they got. There's There was no chocolate ice cream, right? Um, at about that point, he goes, chocolate. And it's like, okay, mission accomplished. Um Yeah. Was is das Wasser? Ironically, though, German chocolate cake, not German. I, I just found that out too, which is weird. I, I, my, I'm shattered because uh, it was a guy named German it's, that made German chocolate cake. Oh, right? is it? Oh, I thought it was. I, I thought it was not German chocolate cake. I, I thought it might be German chocolate cake, but it was made by the French or something who imported all the German. <laughs> German co- chocolate and figured out how to use it to best advantage. No, it's no. German's chocolate cake. Mr. Like German or, Mr. or German. the German family. It's actually Mr. German's chocolate cake. So like it's a cake that's made with Mr. German's like industrial oh, Okay, chocolate. so it would be like saying Hershey chocolate cake or... Exactly. Okay, exactly. got it. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. Like I made an Oreo pie. Yeah. Fair- like German's chocolate cake. 
Fair enough. Uh, speaking of foods, like, are there, are there special, one of the ways to delineate seasons is, is by food. And I think, mm. you know, are there, are there summer foods that you are, you know, particularly, particularly a devotee of? Cause like one of the things I think of is like barbecues and I don't know. Um, I think of corn on the cob, though that is inappropriate because corn is only knee high by the 4th of July and is harvested in the fall. So that's, that's, you know, a, a product of industrial agriculture, I guess but like watermelon maybe mm. um i mean these these days i'm into like i'm into the succession the farmers market succession of like berry season stone fruit season and uh and then um tomato season and uh you know those three fruits in 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 succession kind of define uh define the summer season for me i don't know anything anything for you guys I mean, well, I'm just proud to announce on the, on this podcast that I've I've learned how to uh, grill steak finally. What? Uh, in my late 30s, going on to my 40s, I'd never done it before until fairly recently. Well, you live in an apartment um, in an apartment in New York. It's probably illegal to to like even contemplate an open flame. It is both illegal and it is enforced, um, <laughs> which is an important combination in New York City, which is not always the case for illegal things. So that, that yes, that is a, that is a totally valid point. Um, that's why I haven't done it. So that felt like a real rite of passage. I gotta say, um, you know, usually I would leave the grilling to others. You know, in the in the uh, before times, right when you would all childless just pile into an Airbnb and uh, um, someone, uh, in, almost invariably a man. Yeah, I've um, I've I've would, grilled for you before, Mark. Grill. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, just something about it just intimidated me. Um, I think it's probably due to my insecurities uh, about manhood related to um, uh, being an Asian American in America. Um, let's, let's go with that. Um, but I finally have overcome that, and I will pass on the secret of grilling uh, to my child. Not when he's three, uh, perhaps when he's four, um, and he's actually uh, tall enough to see the, the surface of the grill. Um, so that was pretty exciting. Um, what, and- what were the circumstances under which you, you uh, weekended or summered and grilled? Um. You know, I think I saw someone do it and realized how simple it was. And then I decided that I could do it myself. And I also really wanted steak. Yeah, Mark, so, I mean, I, I think, like, uh, your masculinity is not imperiled. I, I've seen you uh, cook a steak sous vide and then char it with a blowtorch. So, you know, that's that's that counts. <laughs> like, not, but that's, like, I don't, indoor I don't, and urban and, you know, Mark, you had a blowtorch. Piece, lost touch with, like, any sense of... Uh, of nature of the outside, right? That's what summer is for, right? The open flame, cooking dead meat carcass outside, and, and, and like in this kind of um, uh, roundabout way to get back in touch with nature. Okay. That is, uh, I think, is, is what's happening when you're grilling meat outside in the summer. I mean, the most masculine thing about grilling is that the person who stands next to the grill doing nothing gets to say that they're doing it. <laughs> mm. Holding a beer and kind of observing and uh, offering advice, which may or may not be helpful. Yeah, it's like, it's, a, it's like I've declared that this is my territory because I am the one who's standing next to this thing. And therefore, you're all going to assign that a teleology and a sense of purpose. <laughs> I mean, that's perhaps an exaggeration. But uh, I mean, my wife does a lot of the grilling when we grill. Uh, although it occurs to me, we don't really grill steaks on the grill so much. We do a lot of pan searing on the steaks. So I didn't want to let this pass without asking, how do you handle the sear on steak when you're grilling it on a grill? 
I, I let the grill do it. That's am such I, am a, I doing it wrong. No, that's it's such a good question, Pete. Like I'm, and, I'm telling, you, like I'm so you know. Um, no, it, and it's it's right. To, you know, not mess this up. So that, here's uh, what found found the easiest thing uh, instructions to follow, which is basically just salt, pepper, oil it, um, and toss it on uh, at a certain temperature. You know, one side and then another side, and yeah. that was it. So, Pete, if you think of your if you think of your standard BS grill. Right. That some that, you know, some stupid American consumer would buy. Right. Can you describe the grate to me? What is the material of the grate? You know, oh, man. Uh, I mean, when I think of a, of a sort of basic grill, it's thin wires. Yep. Right. It's coat hangers. Yeah. Right. It's like yeah. they've they've strung coat hangers, probably stainless steel. Yeah. And that is the worst that is the the absolute worst because it doesn't heat up enough to affect the meat, right? And if you if you lift the steak up off of that, even after you know prolonged cooking, what you'll see is like a gray hunk of meat with some maybe like faint tan lines on it. You gotta get cast iron. Gotta get okay. cast iron, so- man, and you gotta heat the cast iron up over fire or gas. If you have gas, okay. I'm not, I'm not here to judge. I'm here. I'm here to bury cows, not to, not to judge how you cook them. Um, the, the cast iron, the cast iron thing so that you have two, you have two kinds of heat transfer. You have conducting heat from the cast iron into the, into the muscle. That's what sears, right? And you have the convection of the hot air around the thing, which kind of bakes the steak inside the closed lid of the, of the grill, right? Now, now Pete, yes. what's your stance on rotation? On ro- rotating a steak? Yeah, you want a cross hatch of grill marks, Pete. Yeah. So you yeah. got to do the, you got to put the steak on at about, you know, let's call it about a 25 to 30 degree angle to the steak. Uh, or to the, to the grates, the steak to the, to the, you know, um, uh, pr- uh, parallel grates of the grill. You got to put that on like that. You cook it for half of your one side time, which is probably three minutes. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and then, uh, so at, at 90 seconds, so I shoot for seven as my one side time. Because it's lucky, but that might be even a little bit long. But or it might just have a very big steak. But anyway, so, because you like to eat a piece of shoe leather on, you know, for your you like to to to, you know, I don't know, grind your teeth upon it. Um, <laughs> no, you you so half of your one side time. Then you pick it up and rotate it, you know, uh, fifty or sixty degrees to the other side. So that it's it's kind of pointing diagonally the other way, so that you get the cross hatch, and you do the same thing on the you do the same thing on the other side. Though you you know it's not as important because you always cook food on the presentation side first. Uh, so the you know the the reverse side of the steak isn't as important. That's how you get the that's how you get the sear on Pete. I mean I now, don't know so if you, the sear is the grill marks is what you're saying. Yes, that's exactly it. Okay. Right, and that's why you need that's why you need a real metal like uh you know jokes have left the room. That's why you need actually to get the grate of the grill, not just fire, but the grates of the grill really really hot in order to uh in order to put those lines on it. So we have cast iron grates on our grill now because we got that grill for our wedding. And I it's would nice. I would expect no less from you. Awesome. So then, so so you're not saying to a cast iron skillet on the grill and cook the food, cook the steak on the cast iron on the grill. You're saying get cast iron grills. Grates, yeah, on grill. the grill, grates yeah, exactly. Grill, 
and then you maximize the surface area. Well, not maximize because you maximize it by like. Moving no, I'm it saying a you make bit. it aesthetically attractive by doing yeah. the side to side by doing the side to side maneuver. But yeah, yeah, and and the other thing might be preheat. You know, preheat the grill, uh, the the grates a lot longer than you than you think. You know, got it. See, this is very masculine because you're probably feeling a lot of authority by telling me. To, about how you would do this thing that Mark just did. Yeah, well, you know, right, absolutely. I mean, even <laughs> though, even, uh, yeah, look, uh, the fact that I'm a cisgendered man does not make my performance of masculinity any more a sham than anyone, <laughs> than anyone else hey, Well, if it's a sham, it's a sham wow, buddy. <laughs> performance of masculinity. Even the guy who had the sham wow thing, his performance of masculinity was... You know, um, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, for me, ribs, I love ribs and I always used to get ribs in the summer when we would vacation as a family. Um, we would go to these sand dunes in North Carolina. Uh, I, pr- I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast before where we go to jockey's Ridge where these, these sound sand dunes down in North Carolina. And then across the street from jockey's Ridge is jockey was, was jockey's ribs. I don't know if it's still there which was a rib place named after a bunch of sand dunes with a logo that was a whale. It was very complicated. Um, and we get baby back ribs. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I think of that as a summery food, too. Though it is weird that the food in the summer involves exposing yourself to open flame a lot because it's hot. Why do you want to be more hot? I guess it's because you can be outside and you wouldn't be grilling outside in the winter because you don't want to stand around outside in the winter. But like, no, why don't we? grill in the spring i should grill in the fall because leaves might fall in the grill or i mean you do grill in the fall because you tailgate football games there's yeah, a sure. tradition there i feel like it's um, a different thing though i mean i guess people go- cook uh I, I think of that as like bratwurst grilling you know and, mm-hmm. a, and a bratwurst is is hard uh, like almost any sausage should be completely cooked through before it hits you know bratwurst are from germany and thus they <laughs> challenge our concept of reality <laughs> bratwursts are, are made from the rabbits that bring what the is, eggs what <laughs> is the notional relationship of a bratwurst to a rabbit to to easter bunnies you know you know that in the traditional way it's not really bratwurst if you don't say i love you and everything is beautiful every time you take a bite you have to you have to say that. Stare at the bratwurst. Say I love you and everything is beautiful. Then take a bite of the bratwurst. <laughs> Pete, I have a I have a question. When you when you spent your days at Jockey's Ridge State Park, did you spend your yeah. nights in Rodanthe? <laughs> that's a when deep. Might- that's a really deep cut for for the the overthinking it members who uh, have been members since the very beginning and remember the Nicholas Sparks challenge where we oh, agreed man. to watch a Nicholas Sparks film for every person who signed up for an overthinking it membership. Oh yeah, definitely. It was a life changing experience. I was going to say that, that- <laughs> you're you're one of the few who did them all. You yes, did because that's how I interpreted the assignment was that we were each going to watch a Nicholas Sparks movie. <laughs> For every person who became an overthinking, right, and and my my thing was like, well, collectively, if someone has watched yeah. a Nicholas Sparks movie for every, I think we wrote, I think we wrote summaries, yeah. uh, I think we wrote summaries of them. But speaking of you know becoming an overthinking it member, um, you know, which you can do at overthinkingit.com slash join. They are the the heroes uh, who support our work with a contribution of uh, five bucks a month. At, works out to be about a dollar an episode for the podcast and i hope you know if we don't provide that much entertainment with for you you should do something else with your time honestly but uh we appreciate them for uh making the commitment to to support what we do keep the lights on around here pay the server costs
costs and uh, all that stuff that keeps uh, that keeps on uh, keeps on ticking. But you know what else we have um, in the Overthinking It store at overthinkingit.com slash store is uh, the perfect piece of summer attire. It is a uh, it is a piece of summer attire that that I own that I know Pete Fenzel owns that uh, I, Mark, I think you may have one of these. And it is a, uh, a, a T-shirt uh, or a tank top that has the immortal phrase, sun's out, puns out uh, on it. And there is definitely a picture of me and Pete posing uh, at the gun show um, in, a, in a summer... Uh, you know, summer thing, like summer, summer vacation travel. Like one of the, one of the things that, that summer means to me is to, that it's usually the, the season in which I see all of you guys for, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, aquatic or, or meat based adventures, you know? And that's, yeah, uh, I miss that yeah. a lot. I'm that, that's been one of the big losses I think of the championship season has been our summertime gatherings that haven't happened. I mean, we already know because we had a whole podcast mostly about it, about, my attempt to meet up with Mark and have our families go on vacation together and how that fell apart. Um, it was, it was undone thing. by the evils of racism, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was basically, um, there was a, a Germans, uh, <laughs> uh, chipmunk that came to our, my house and said, we can't have nice things. And then we weren't allowed to go on vacation. Uh, no, no, yeah, exactly. That was the good old, the good old, the vid, the, the good old Rona, uh, did that, did that for all of us. But yeah, like having the occasion to travel and see people in the summer is, is very nice and, uh, more elective than traveling in the holidays. Um, man, we will, we, I shouldn't talk about that now cause we've got to save it up for when we, uh, don't have a movie we want to watch around, around Christmas time <laughs> or Hanukkah time or Diwali time or any other time. Uh, because we can then talk about how, how those holidays have changed for us. But yeah, I like seeing people in the summer. It's, it's nice and I miss it. Um, so I, I miss pe- seeing people in general as I sit in the same place that I've been sitting for the yeah, past Yeah, I mean, two I, years. I find as we learn how to sort of cope with the conditions of championship season, as, as we learn to live with the rings, the bulky rings that, that make it difficult to move our fingers, the championship the, rings. The, the rings of the Nibelungen that we all carry with us. <laughs> Um, that like these, these days more and more of these things are, are starting to happen again, but they're kind of happening at a smaller scale, right? They're the, the, at least among our cohort, cause we're not like vacationing at the Lake of the Ozarks or something like that. But the, the, um, uh, among our friends, you know, the, the gatherings tend to be a little smaller, like one or two or two or three couples or families rather than like the big, uh, you know, the big old, uh, uh, things that we used to have. I mean, that's that's uh, due as much to the increasing number of children in our lives uh, as it is the conditions of the champion season. Yeah, I guess I wrangling wrangling them all at the same time is uh, you know is a challenge for sure. It is a bit challenging. Yeah. One um, of the to, big. Oh, go ahead, go for it. Yeah, to add to this con- to, to travel conversation, like, can we talk a little bit more about like the road trip specifically? Which again, mm. I'm sure we've probably talked about on on this podcast before, but like, you know, um, as we've talked about before, right? We are revisiting. Um, the excruciating experiences of our youth um, onto our children. Like we have started to take them on long road trips. Um, granted, only like you know, four hours at a time. But still, you know, we drove uh, in, into chunks uh, nine hours, I think, from New York City to Maine, and that does not include the stops for bathroom, for meltdowns, for fast food, all those sorts wait, of things. Wait, the parents so, meltdown or the the children meltdown? <laughs> because I, I could see either way. 
I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of parent meltdowns. I understand. Um, just, you know, picture me, if you will, um, in a random McDonald's somewhere in, let's say, Western Massachusetts, chasing my three-year-old and my one-year-old around and trying to bribe them to come back to the table to eat their French fries. Um, and that being <laughs> the hard thing that they have to do is eat McDonald's French fries. Um, Sounds excruciating. I mean, it's it's it, that part is not fun. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. But like, you know, this now, like to me, is part of what it means to be summer. To be summering <laughs> is to have that that uh, that particular joyous activity. So, um, yeah, it's hard work. Um, you know, we d- d- to move the kids around and also deal with a car. Like we get a tire that was like not uh, holding its pressure, and so I have that uh, you know th- those joys there. And then um, well, getting lost though is not a thing really anymore, or not nearly as much as it was um, with GPS now compared to. Now here's a ch- maybe a, a childhood memory that you have all re- repressed. You remember um, the the map studying and where the the parents um, were looking furrowed and studying the map um, and. Um, Gently trading barbs with each other and blaming the other for 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 getting lost. Well, Do you I, remember this? I was raised by a single mother, so she did it all by herself. I actually am in kind of in awe of the the amount of strength um, and courage that that she had. But I I can imagine I can imagine what you're saying. I mean, we had different fights. <laughs> so that right, we'd have different fights too, right? So there's not well, there's the occasional um, you know you miss the turn. Um, sort of thing, but not nearly to, to the level that that uh, that it used to happen. So, kind of that that liberating feeling of of transporting and you know easily flitting away um, has changed for everyone here. I think again because of because of kind of the children, and also kind of the championship season, right? Like Matt, you've flown around a lot more this summer, right? And uh, um, and that has not been like you know not that flying before COVID was a picnic, right? But it is like kind of a, a um, the nature of uh, how it is excruciating is is changed and it's getting worse. The nature of how it's excruciating has changed. Yeah, that's that's true. I I I hate not just uh, the, you know the airline industry, but also my fellow man. Mm. What an improvement. <laughs> Um, yeah, I I have. It's been it's been work travel, and it's been it has been. Tiring, oh yeah, you know? that that's a whole other topic over there. But like. Um, you, you know the phrase like jet setting, right? They're a jet setting couple. Sure. Um, and that evokes a certain feeling of carefree and, and, and you know, leisurely moving in and out of airports and across borders, um, which just like doesn't feel right anymore. Um, I'm also just, this is my confirmation bias sending in, right? You know, I know of several families who have had really horrendous experiences. Um, you know, traveling either to or, or from Europe, right? You know, back to the United States um, for their big, you know, pent up demand summer vacation, right? Um, missed flights, canceled flights, lost luggage, um, luggage, you know, like uh, uh, getting there and coming back, right? You know, land in Europe, you don't have an entire suitcase full of things that you needed for yourself and like two or three or four small children. Um, these are hassles. That's not jet setting. That is not jet setting. Matt. No, the jets are not set. They are uh, out of control. They are not set, uh, are, are the Jets. So what I'm saying what, what is the theme of this is that a sense of leisure that is supposed to define summer, that we're supposed to create for ourselves and for our children, is seemingly out of reach. Yeah, I guess the... the um, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess this the sense of le- leisure is kind of a, a kayfabe, right? Like, and that's it's uh, it's tough to has, has it always been, or is it just more so now? I don't know. Did did you? I mean, I maybe I'm getting a little a little too deep, but did you have a uh, a sense of obligation as a kid to like look like you were having fun just to like reassure their your parents that you were that they were doing a good job? No, yes. I mean maybe at some <laughs> yeah, age. I, I, I did for sure. I, I felt an obligation to look like uh, I was being miserable to guilt my parents for dragging us somewhere I didn't want to be, and also forcing me to like I don't know study <laughs> like while we're like, like literally like in in a, in a beach condo. That was definitely a thing that happened. Like drilling for SATs oh, at the beach. That was definitely a thing that happened. But Pete, you it sounded like you uh um oh that, yeah you had the opposite. Experience. Can't we just be happy? Right. Can't we just be happy is, is, is something that feels very familiar. Just the stress of just trying to trying to chase the result. Right. Um, I, I guess I've, I've been I've been uh, I've been kind of futzing around with and kind of um, hobbyistically um, orbiting uh, the, the book. A new kind of science, in the sense of like not really reading it, but like listening to I, people discussing the, it on the tape Stephen, and Stephen Wolfram book. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And I think one of the notions in a new kind of science, or just though, so and and Matt, it sounds like you know what I'm talking about. So I'll I'll just I'll just this is relevant to going to going on vacation with your family in the summer in, in this mode, in this particularly perhaps German mode of vacationing, German American mode of vacationing, American, but we call it German, like uh, like Oreo pie. Uh, or like German, like German chocolate cake, but um, which is that the new kind of science, quote unquote, is focuses on these uh, on computation, by which I mean iterated and uh, and and sort of completed computations that happen in succession from one another as the as a producer of complexity from simplicity which is an operation that can happen in a variety of different sorts of ways and using the sorts of concepts that you would see in computer programs as to develop a vocabulary for describing natural phenomena, which I think is sort of a relatively common way of thinking about things now um, in sort of popular science, but I think was a pretty big change in how to think about things at the time. Matt, is, am I describing it accurately enough? I, I mean, go enough. go more into it, and I'll, I'll let you yeah. know. Yeah. So, well, so like the idea being that right, um, re- West, traditional Western reductionist science, you know, reductionism in the and when I say Western, I, I shouldn't say Western because everybody perverts what the word means. But you know, going back through traditions of formal logic and the university, and then back through to. Uh, you know, philosophers in the uh, in the Mediterranean climate that Matt Rather lives in, but in another part of it, uh, which is not just necessarily limited in its impact and tradition to the areas of Europe, but a sort of broader range of intellectual tradition. Uh, there arises this notion of if I know the parts of a system and I know how the parts work, I can then understand how the system is going to work by extrapolating how the parts work. So, like, I know how gravitation works. I know how big each of these particular planets that are orbiting around each other are. 
I can then use math to determine how the orbital system of all these planets and the sun will operate and will go like infinitum indefinitely right, right. because it, i have it, the parts it implies, i have the whole it implies a relationship between reality and a kind of a notional a beautiful notional model of reality that is you know kind of mathematically perfect that is like yeah. some aristotle music of the spheres poop right and so i that so vacations as i have experienced them tend to have a especially involving children. Vacations involving children tend to tended to historically approach things from a traditional Western reductivist standpoint. That is, the outcome of a happy vacation is something that is understood. There is a blueprint for what it looks like. And then the parts of it, the constituent parts of it, are also things that can be individually enumerated and individually understood. And such, you know, okay, you need to have a, a van, Right. You need to have suitcases. You need to have places to stop on the road. Right. You need everything that's in the Weird Al Yankovic magnum opus, the greatest ball of the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. Right. You need to have like the decals on the cars and and the uh, and the and the slim slim Whitman tape that you all listen to. You need all of the pieces and. Traditional Western reductivist science reductionist science would predict that if you assemble all the pieces for a happy vacation, then you know, and and then you sort of let the process happen, then you will arrive at a happy vacation. Mm. And I think a lot of families run into this in, intense frustration, at least ours did, because what we really wanted was the happy vacation. And by interpreting it as like, well, if we're not getting it, we should just more strictly adhere to the parts, right? We should like plan to do more things. We should plan to do more fun things. We should make sure we're staying in the right house that is sort of not too fancy, not fancy and, you know, not too unfancy, right? Just like get every part just right. And then the vacation will be will be great. We should go to the right amusement park and do even more rides. Right. When in fact, that's actually just like freaking exhausting for everyone yeah. involved. And so I believe and again, I this is me sort of being a hobbyist here, but I'm an overthinker and we have a podcast called it. So let me own it that the the Stephen Wolfram esque approach to this would be not to look at the happy vacation and then to identify the parts of the happy vacation and see how you can compose it or prove it from its component parts, but rather to look at the small scale operations mm -hmm. that happen to the parts that you have that are present. So like I have a two year old, I have, you know, I have a, a couple, you know, my wife is like, you know, very pregnant. These are the sort of basic facts. You you might even refer to them as the cellular automata of my vacation, right? Like each of these are obviously incredibly complex systems, but let's imagine for a second that they are very simple, right? That, that like actually the two-year-old doesn't really have particularly complicated needs. If this happened, it makes them happy. If that happens, it makes them unhappy. And instead, let's try to predict what will happen by the interaction and repetition of these operations, or rather not predict, but envision, right? Like either by simulation, uh, right? Or by, or by experience, you know, fleshing out, uh, building the history, right? Iterating it or allowing the, not just, not just alighting the process, not just going from the parts to the whole, but cause you can't, because as you know, right. And this is, this is also sort of a, a chaotic issue. Um, it, let's say you do everything right, but you end up a half an hour behind schedule 
And that means that your three-year-old or your is is a half an hour late for bedtime. This like drastically increases the probability that the three-year-old will become non-compliant in some sort of way that is going to cause you to force them to do something that they don't want to do, which in turn ratchets up the chance that they're going to have tantrum, right? In turn, if you are in a given situation where you have to like go to a restaurant to have dinner at that time, you're now in an environment that isn't conducive to you being able to compel the child to do the thing that they don't want to do, which in turn like inhibits your ability to do it. And so like all of these cascading chaotic effects, you know, kind of spiral out of and they're not chaotic. These emergent effects, right? These sort of emergent properties of chaotic vacation, uh, you know, come out of not the failure to predict, but rather the futility of predicting the part for the whole, rather than looking at the basic operation and extrapolating it into emergent complexity. Right. Uh, right. Um, so that, that's 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 what I'm talking about. There's so a cognitive, there's like, a cognitive bias issue here, you know, right? That the, or uh, yeah, I think. I can't name the bias at play, but I, because you look back at the vacation and experience it and kind of remember it as a thing, you think going into it that it must be a thing. And the vacation is not a thing. You know, the, the vacation is many, many, many things and you can, uh, and, and what emerges ex post facto as your idea of the thing that was the vacation is actually the product of a million small phenomena rather than some kind of like, Robert Moses like master plan, you know, and the number of the number of like trips to the Grand Canyon that someone tried to Robert Moses me into that I've been to like it's it's, uh, you know, traumatic to think about. Robert Moses is a great example because the if because Robert Moses is a like classic Western reductionist. In, in the way that he's conceiving of his big plans in the sense of, well, OK, we're getting rid, rid of this particular neighborhood, but this neighborhood is a slum. Right. And and uh, and the people who live there are are disadvantaged and hurt by the situation that they're currently living in. So like f- getting them to move somewhere else and then looking at a whole city that is now as a whole doing better then like we have to assume that those people are doing better. Because because we know what we have a vision for the end product because of something that we saw. Right. That we've decided that that's that's what this is. Whereas so one objection to that would be like, well, you know, you're you're privileging the people that you care about over the people you don't care about. But another criticism of it is you are assuming that the city is a thing that can be that can exist. You're assuming the city is a thing and not Mm. many small things that are interacting with each other Mm -hmm. and creating kind of emergent outcomes of great complexity. Like you're assuming that the complexity of the city comes from the complexity of the planning that produces the city rather than the emergence of the simple decisions that the millions of people who live there make. Right. And of course, urban planning is a paradox in this sense, because and this is where, again, like Matt with grilling, I'm talking about something that Mark actually does. Uh, you know, urban planning is a contradiction in terms because the the city is not planned. The city is lived. Uh, right. But but when you're planning, what you're doing is you're you're interacting with this. I mean, unpredictable is is too off the mark, but, you know, emergently complex. 
you're dealing with this emergently complex interaction of all these people and you're trying to through the methods that you can apply rationally to the situation which are the only ones that you have you can't like go back in time and then tweak everybody to like be happy with a little bit less meat and a little bit more vegetables right like you can't you can't really you could try but it probably won't work because then you're doing the same thing right that uh you know so but yeah, chaos I'm, and order, right? You're trying to create yeah. – you have to recognize that your ability to force order on a population is limited by the population's emergent properties. And it's the same way with a kid vacation. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so the su- exactly. The, su- the summer important, is not important correction before Important correction okay, before yeah. we go for is that like um, uh, um, I, I have retired from the game. Oh, that's right. You're out of the game. I'm not playing the urbanity anymore. But uh, back to the kind of the, the topic what we were just talking about here. Um, so Robert Moses, like, you know, tried to plan a city, right, exert his will uh, on top of, like, you know, a chaotic um, you know, emergent behavior sort of a situation. But interestingly, right, when we talk about, you know, the broader topic of, of the summer, he was more successful in creating and planning um, beaches and parks in Long Island, which actually um, you know, people in that region um, are de- really defining parts of the summer experience, right? Driving to um, one of several beaches that he kind of willed into existence or like, you know, carved out as as public beaches. Um, but he's more successful in that regard because, well, it's not the city, right? It was it was at the time the wilderness um, and he was able to create that. Um, but I, I love that we managed to get Robert Moses into the discussion. So, you know, <laughs> achievement unlocked for overthinking a podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And of course, then, then of course, that's when you get into things like this. This is the difference between systematic and systemic racism, because when the individual towns each put up parking ordinances that prevent people from driving to their public beach from the city, right? That becomes a sort of emergent collective plan, right? Uh, that that uh, that then creates a sort of racist, uh, you know, a segregation of those areas that wasn't necessarily what was planned from the get go. Though, of course, then you go back to the plans to, like, lower the road overpasses so that the buses can't fit through. Mm-hmm. So the people oh, in the city oh, can't oh. go. To the bus. And then, oh, that's systematic, right? So, like, systemic versus systematic and all this <laughs> other stuff. But what I'm basically saying is that uh, crankiness is fractal, right? Is that, is that like, uh, <laughs> like re- <laughs> relaxation is linear, crankiness is fractal. Uh, <laughs> and uh, And if it just varies just a little bit. Uh, I think that's the moral of Jurassic Park also, I think, sort of. I'm not sure. I need to le- read a little bit more about chaos theory to understand what he's, what of the stuff that he says in Jurassic Park about chaos theory is wrong, um, because I'm sure that it is. But I'm, yeah, I am going to recommend – I've been watching a YouTube series where Stephen Wolfram goes back and comments on each of the chapters in A, a New Kind of Science – uh, I will I will share that in the show notes and on the Discord if anybody wants to watch it. It's really dense. It's like it's like mainlining half cooked brownies. <laughs> it's just like oh man, I can't do much more of this. It's very <laughs> but, uh, it's very rich. But we'll we'll yeah. leave that with everyone to do, and and we'll leave you with the you know I was trying to to edge in there to say that the the summer is not planned. The summer is lived, and I hope that you have lived oh, yeah. your summer. You know, now that we've all decided that the championship season is over and everything is is fine again you know like uh i hope uh i I mean i i don't know i i shouldn't be so snarky about it i understand definitely the 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 real pull the real longing to return to some some you know sense of some of these things that we're familiar with to 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 plan and and you know recreate some of these some of these things that that exist in our idea of of a summer not not the least of which is uh, you know getting together with the people you care about and i i hope you uh i hope that you um 
I, I hope that we hope that you've had it as, as summer kind of winds to a close over the next, uh, over the next several weeks, you know, in here in LA, uh, the kids are already back in school, you know, so by one measure, you know, not the, not the, uh, uh, not the, the measure of like the seasons turning or the calendar, but, but by the measure of lived experience, the summer is over for those kids who are back in, in school now. Um, but if it's uh, winding up for you, if it ends after Labor Day, if it ends on the solstice, uh, we hope that you have uh, lived the heck out of it. That's what I'm. Um, uh, that's what I'm hoping. Anyway, thanks very much. Uh, thanks for having me back, guys. It was uh, appreciated uh, having um, having the opportunity to talk to you guys again about about this summer. While it is while it is still summer, we must we must make podcasts while the sun shines. We're just a set of bros standing around that grill, flipping that steak, yep. staring at. I- Absolutely. Um, and, and thanks also to our good friend Jordan Stokes, who just stood around this podcast uh, holding a beer, not saying anything, but he was on this podcast as well. <laughs> uh, just uh, by grilling rules, grilling rules. In fact, all of the uh, the overthinkers are on this podcast. Uh, and you can find more of us at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't. doesn't. Dessert. Dessert. Dessert.